everybody, welcome to episode 22 of The Real Presidents of Washington, D.C. I'm Ray. I'm Sebastian. Sebastian, what a few weeks yes, it has and been. Actually, Ray, if I may, I just want to start with an apology. Mm. Oh. Uh, we've heard from our listener who has been clamoring for more episodes, mm. and I just want to fully disclose that I am the bottleneck. I am the problem. Uh, when we started this podcast 21 episodes ago. That's right. The beginning of this administration, no one could have predicted no how one. difficult it was going to be to maintain a cadence of weekly podcast recording or casting, as mm. we like to call it. Uh, and I just want everyone uh, in this room, as well as our listener, to know that it is fully my responsibility for the lower frequency of uh, production of the of the cast. Well, you know, just like uh, solving the. Uh, healthcare crisis in the United States of America. Uh, no one could have foreseen That's correct. that there would be um, really any difficulties whatsoever in, in meeting that uh, cadence. Um, one individual who uh, maybe did not see something coming in the uh, recent weeks was a North Korea, uh, Korean North Korean dictator Kim Jong Un. Uh, who got into a pissing contest with uh, our Lord and Savior Donald J. Trump? Is that um, his official designation now? Is it he, is. It's, yeah. I, I saw it printed on a dollar bill. Okay, cool. Uh, this was so loony and dangerous that Jong Un actually walked the situation back yeah. from the edge. Yes, and you know that's where we are now, <laughs> right? So, I mean, when you're such a terrifying madman. That Kim Jong Un has a moment of clarity, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, you are <laughs> that's something. What was it that uh, in Un and North Korea's um, actions that that sort of tipped you to the fact that they were going like, "Oh, this is different than before. We can't be the unhinged one." Yeah, it was. Uh, I think he said, "Oh, well, you know, he had come out and said, yeah, we'll like we'll launch some missiles at Guam,' you know, right?" Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> And then Trump said one of the fire and fury things. And then later, Jong Un said, We're not going to launch anything at Guam. It's. <laughs> it's it standing. I was rhetorical metaphor. It may have been the readout from uh, Trump's call with the governor of Guam, in which the governor said, He told me it would be good for tourism. Not <laughs> to worry about it. <laughs> Kim Jong Un went, Holy shit, that guy's fucking crazy. <laughs> he really thinks he's on a TV show. Now, the uh, the international community was uh, was horrified. Horrified. Mm. Um, but if I you're... think that's the general tenor these days. Yeah. It's, it's spread from just sane Americans to rest of world. Wake up and go, the rest, like, what the, rest the, of the world. fuck is happening now? I mean, I think the rest of the world was early to that party. That's true, yeah. But if you're a Trump fan... Okay, you you got to think this worked out pretty well, right? Know. You know, uh, the whole fire and fury diplomacy is kind of exactly what you think was missing under Eurydice uh, Obama. Um, and in the end, uh, like Trump kind of, he won. He won that exchange. We haven't been annihilated. <laughs> and Zhang Un is in, in the corner. That's our definition of winning. 
Did not get annihilated. That seems like a low bar for winning. Didn't get annihilated. I am not didn't sick actually of didn't that actually kind of have to enter an armed conflict. Just used the threat of an armed conflict. To achieve what though? To, to what achieve end? no armed conflict. I see. I see. Peace through Took the existing state of no armed peace conflict. Peace through puffery. Peace through puffery. <laughs> well what's wrong with that? Because there was no escalation of, of uh um Hostility on the ground in the first place. He was reacting to... I mean, Un does this posturing, uh, if I may refer mm. to him as by his first name, I guess, right? I, I believe so. Uh, Il Un, I guess, is... is that, or Zhong Un. Anyway, Zhong Un. Um, that's it. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, he falls back onto this posturing mostly to consolidate power domestically. It's mostly a, a statement about domestic power and, and also positioning against South Korea. Mm. And that's about it. I mean, he's, I mean, it, it seems unlikely that he believes that he could do anything other than lead North Korea into a very uh, quick end as a charcoal briquette if he actually did engage the U.S. in any kind of armed conflict. Um, he may do significant damage in the region, certainly to South Korea, probably to Japan, possibly to China, um, and then it would be over in a very short period of time and there would be no more Kim Jong-un um, regime. And that's his main goal is just to maintain power. So yes, it was, it seemed like a terrible misreading of that kind of standard posturing. Um, and it risked escalation into actual armed conflict when that really isn't necessary in that region. We don't really have a play other than, Let's let all of the explosives off at once on both sides. That's that's the option. Uh, a fascinating option. Now, okay, I, I mean, Trump I Trump has I, been obsessed with since the late eighties. He's been setting off explosions. Who nukes. who isn't? Yeah. And Kim Jong Un maybe is not actually obsessed with setting off the explosions, but in uh, positioning himself as a guy who has some explosives that he will set off. So right. you better what you know take him seriously yeah. and it, externally, but also internally because hey, you know yeah. I, I tr- like we can all feel pretty cool because everybody's out to get us and I've got all these explosives and I'll set them off anytime, right? Yeah. Okay, but isn't Trump basically calling his bluff by doing the same thing but bigger, right? And isn't that in a way kind of how you? How you ought to shut down a, a, a Kim Jong-un? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I can see that argument, but the the gain seems slight for the risk, the inherent risk of that kind mm. of maneuver. The risk is something goes wrong and there are actual tactical nuclear warheads and intercontinental ballistic missiles flying and millions of people dead. Hmm. And it's like, I just, I was trying to just bluff and cause bluff and and sort of posture that we were bigger. I wasn't actually trying to kill 20 million people. (laughs) Well, you know, when the whole brinksmanship. Yeah, I know. It's a game of chicken. I know, but you got to be willing to, you know, you got to walk, take that one step further than that other guy to get him to back down. I've. It is a. I mean, that's an irrational, from a game theory perspective, that's an irrational game because it's, it's, it's total annihilation is the, on both sides. Mutual assured destruction was the, the thing that kept Brinksmanship right. going, um, in the Cold War. 
And, you know, I mean, there's an enormous amount of human suffering from the funneling of uh, GDP into defense spending. I mean, you know, missiles and silos don't educate kids and create jobs and feed people. They just, it's just locked up capital mm. in a non-productive form. And if it ever is productive, that's the end of productivity. <laughs> it's kind of a shit. It's a real catch-22. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I get your point. I'm not willing to concede any ground to or credit to to the, the dumpster fire. I think it was just a stupid thing to do. I think primarily he was trying to distract from uh, domestic problems. Mm. Well, of which he has. He has many. Many. Uh, the the biggest, the one that looms largest over everything, of course, are the tragic events that uh, took place in Charlottesville. Yeah. Um, so you know, for our uh, listeners who have been living in a cave to protect their psyche from the we horrors of modern life. Um, as well as to avoid spoilers about Game of Thrones. Right. Can you recap uh, what happened in Charlottesville? So they went north of the wall to... I didn't... Charlottesville. Exactly, Charlottesville. Oh, Scott, I got it. I'm sorry. It's, levity is the defense against uh, horror, basically. Because, yeah, what, what happened in Charlottesville was horrible. Um, uh, essentially, they um, planned and, and permitted a rally to stop the the uh, removal of a Confederate-era um, statue from Charlottesville. These were white supremacists. White supremacists, yeah. Um, I mean, dressed up in the, the, you know, the permit was, well, we're trying to protect our heritage and, mm -hmm. it's, you know, Southern heritage, the, the standard sort of dog whistle terms when we know that mm -hmm. those statues are all... Um, a, built during the Jim Crow era, and B, just meant as reminders that uh, black people are not considered equal in um, certain segments of, of the South, Southern society. So, yeah, so that was planned for Saturday. The counter-protesters uh, filed their permits. Friday night rolls around, and several hundred um, polo shirt and chino-wearing uh, white supremacists march on uh, the UVA campus quad, I think. Um, and they're <laughs> carrying hilariously tiki torches, um, from Pier One, basically. Um, so there were definitely no mosquito bites going on that night. Um, and chanting legit Nazi slogans like blood and soil, um, you will not replace us, Jews will not replace us. Um, and looking very threatening and angry. And there were actually, a a bunch of UVA students um, sort of counter-protesting uh, in an ad hoc basis. They just heard this was happening and showed up and they very bravely held their ground uh, around a, another, some sort of monument in the center until until the, the, the white supremacists and neo-Nazis dispersed. And then the next day, uh, the two sides were gearing up and the white supremacists did not just show up in polo shirts and chinos. Um, but also a significant contingent of them. Now there's a couple, two to 3,000, I think. Um, and a significant portion of them showed up in body armor, helmets, shields, holding batons, and semi-automatic weapons. And in fact, most disturbingly, a few dozen were in um, surplus military fatigues, basically, and looked a lot like National Guard. I mean, I heard journalists saying, I kept asking them, are you guys from the National Guard? What unit are you from? And they kept on saying, we're here to secure the peace or whatever, but they were acting as a paramilitary unit openly in downtown Charlottesville. Um, police shut down the rally before it actually started. Uh, and as the counter protesters are heading off into downtown Charlottesville, 
a white supremacist uh, hit the the gas in his car, rammed the protesters, and injured I think nineteen, some seriously, and killed one woman, Heather Heyer, um, who uh, was a uh, you know counter protester, part of the resistance, um, had left as her last post on Facebook. If you aren't outraged, you're not paying attention. Mm. Um, and yeah, and then that was bad. That was really bad. But then Trump took a long time to respond mm-hmm. and then equivocated. He said he read a prepared remark uh, about how there was um, uh, hatred and violence and bigotry on many sides. He ad-libbed on many sides mm-hmm. twice um, yeah. to you know continue sort of the false equivalency that he and the alt-right like to... Uh, to tout between um, the the forces on the left and the extremists on the right, um, and the next day he did another prepared statement where he walked it back, mm-hmm. um, and then Tuesday he lost his ever loving shit um, and was spouting actual white nationalist white supremacist rhetoric like you know uh, this is our history they want to destroy. Uh, what's next, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are bad people on both sides, but there are many fine people on Friday night who were marching to protect those statues. Oh. And as I said, Friday night was tiki torches and blood and soil being chanted over and over and over again. I could not pick any of the fine people out of that crowd. Um, so I don't know. It, it was it was a shocking turn to me. Um, from sort of the standard buffoonery of this administration mm. into uh, a hard right turn into like deep alignment with the worst elements on the far far right. The uh, the response um, was baffling. The initial ad lib was clearly off the cuff. Um, certainly, that is in character for Mr. Trump. Um, it blew up, and then the prepared statement where he, you know, unequivocally said the KKK neo Nazis are bad, uh, you know, which even, he grudgingly delivered. Right, and I, I would say even that, if you go back and read his words literally and some of his tweets as well, he says, um, you know, there are uh, the the um, KKK neo Nazis. And many other groups are espousing violence and bigotry and hatred. And the unspoken part in there is, again, the false equivalency between neo-Nazis and the KKK and white nationalists and whoever on the left. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like anybody, like find me anybody on the left with that hateful rhetoric, you know? Like we don't have organized groups like that. We have the occasional wingnut like every ideological group Mm -hmm. does. But, you know, and I suppose you could say the loose affiliations of of black bloc antifa Mm -hmm. people who just show up for vandalism and and you know uh fun violence times um but they're not an organized group with an actual identifiable political ideology or roots to one of the worst human genocides and tragedies and mass uh murders and and uh enormous destruction of human life and property uh in modern history i.e the nazis um, these were literal Nazis, and he's somehow finding some element on the left that is just as hateful. Probably the press, given Trump's normal predilection. I mean, I mean, what was surprising to me is the 
lack of awareness about the types of statements which you one should make in public, yeah. especially as the president of the United yeah. States of America. So like, okay, uh, I could buy that the, um, you know, the original all sides, all sides, off the cuff, slip up, um, you know, it was a whiff. He just felt it and he went with it in the moment. Then he comes back and I thought he was pretty on message in the prepared statement. Relatively. I get what you're saying about you know, between the lines. You yeah. can see maybe what his speech writers might have had to tweak the language right. a little bit for him. Stephen Miller. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then when he came back and basically just said, you know, just just kidding, it, it was all sides. And let me really go into, right. you know, what I was thinking. How, it, I, how I sympathize with the... <laughs> it, it reminded me of that uh, historic first press conference, which he gave, mm. where he, he kind of just waddled out and he, he just held court for an hour going into, you know... Why can't we just get along? And I remarked at the time, you know, we've never seen a president who just is just so um, emotionally exposed. Yeah. Uh, those close to Trump were reported to have said, oh, you know, this, the, we, these are his private thoughts and he's just, he's out there with it. Yeah. Um, in a way, though, I mean, to kind of go back to what we were talking about with North Korea, uh, isn't that kind of what his supporters like, right? Like they do. Yeah. Um, of course, Monster are his rallies. supporters these same guys? You know, and what is what is right. the connection there? Why does he feel? Does he feel beholden to them? Um, you know, certainly from their perspective, I get the appeal because hey, here's a guy who, uh, you know, he's a champion. He's not unafraid to be politically incorrect and we as the uh not as the hardcore nazis but as the nazi right. adjacent uh <laughs> you know we appreciate the not so nazis right now clearly i mean trump is saying oh neo not the actual nazis are are bad but there's right plenty of Fine nazi people. adjacent people yeah. and let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater right <laughs> And so the the those <laughs> let's let's not throw out the mustache with the, with, the, with the dictator. Uh. But why does so you know if you're the Nazi adjacent, um, then you feel great that Trump is uh, on your side. Yeah. And even the straight up Nazis, the Daily Stormer loved oh, loved it. loved the initial response. Loved it. Actually, they loved it through, throughout. I mean, Spencer too. Richard Spencer just tweeted the other day. I mean, something about, like, what he didn't say is that we are bad. And you'll never hear him oh, say yeah. that. Like, he's not saying, he's not decrying the alt-right. He's not uh, drawing equivalency between neo-Nazis and white supremacists in the alt-right, which they assuredly are. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's an actual equivalency. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, there was something. So, so fast forward to this week, last night, um, he's in Phoenix He's uh, staging another rally, uh, which, again, just to your point, like, mm -hmm. how do you not know as president that it's probably not good optics 
to have a campaign rally a, a little over a week after a tragedy like that. That's just well, not... at least he didn't have the rally in Charlottesville. <laughs> in Charlottesville, mayor of Arizona or of uh, Phoenix asked him not to actually have it to well, postpone it, and he went ahead with it anyway. Um, but I read some reporting um, from inside the the venue where he was doing his usual thing of like uh, you know saying these people and pointing at the press. It's these people up here who are you know, the enemy of the people and they won't tell you the truth. And right. he actually went back over his original statement uh, and reread it saying that the press had misrepresented it and left out the ad lib about many sides, which was exactly what everybody had a problem <laughs> right. with. Right. Um, but they were talking to people afterwards and, uh, and journalists were saying like, you know, I had people like pointing at me and screaming. And then afterwards sort of going like, Hey, how's it going? And joking. Mm-hmm. And it, like, there is, you're right, the, the not-so-Nazis have uh, this weird kind of suspension of disbelief that they are part of the reality TV show, and it isn't really mm. real. It's just a fun thing to do. It's way more fun than usual to, uh, politicians who just drone on and on about policies and, like, economics and ugh, boring. Mm. He's fun. You know what I mean? It's like Monster Truck Rally, WWE, um, you know, cage match kind of stuff. Well, it, I mean, when, when you... Phrase it that way, it makes me think of the old George W. Bush. Um, we who, who would you rather have a beer with, right. Bush or Gore? Yeah. And Bush wins, so yeah, Bush, right? Um, and in a way, like the uh, his Trump's um, defense of his original statement as a fine statement, and and leaving out the all sides. Uh, injection. I mean, that just shows his overall lackadaisical attitude towards being the president. Yeah. Where, you know, he feels like um, he'll just riff in the middle of the statement. Yeah. And, you know, you can't judge the statement by that. He's, yeah. you know, he's just yeah. lightening just the mood. Stylistic touches. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, lightening the mood. <laughs> you got to entertain him. Okay. All right. So, you know, I mean, uh, but there's there's this other element, right? Um, and I, I keep thinking of the the Google engineer um, James right. Densmore, who this also recently came out, where he had that crazy memo and um, was kind of ejected for it. Uh, now, from his perspective, it's not a crazy memo. He's trying to have this rational uh, conversation about these things that, as he sees them, and certainly he doesn't. Uh, think of himself as uh, like a, a bigot or um, right. privileged. In fact, he sees himself as oppressed. Right. 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 Um, and it is a and, common theme on the 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 sort of alt right trolley Reddit crowd of like mm-hmm. you know you're oppressing me, you're oppressing me. Because <laughs> I mean you know I understand from the perspective of somebody who doesn't feel socially adept, doesn't feel uh, like they have opportunities, financial opportunities, career opportunities, doesn't feel like they've had uh, sort of the family support potentially, all of the sort of malaise of mod- of the millennial modern day, mm-hmm. right? Um, I understand how being told you're part of a privileged class can be a little jarring, right? If you don't feel like you're getting, personally, mm-hmm. you feel like you're getting what you expected out of life in whatever way. Where's my privilege? Right, exactly. Show me privilege. My life sucks. I demand to have this privilege. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Do I need to go talk to somebody about getting this privilege? 
I was under the Is impression that this system? was automatic. There's a, there a form I need to fill out? Is it like a loyalty card thing? Do I need a certain number of points? White guy points? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a very, very important underlying dynamic. Okay, um, so, but if you're one, so like, um, if you're one of these people who feels like, oh, uh, we can't even have this rational conversation about these things because it's, uh, uh, it's not PC, um, and in fact, just an effort to engage in this rational conversation results in a major media event and a, you know, a firing. For those people, the fact that Trump will just go off script and say whatever he thinks, uh, that is why he's heroic to that group. And mm. even even among people who are not in that group, there there was an element of appeal um, among the kind of the, the you know, the middle, right. right, where the people who went, eh, um, I don't like either of my choices here, but, you know, Trump... He's uh, he's an outsider. Right. Um, he's going to shake things up a little yeah. bit. Uh, I think the middle has basically abandoned uh, any esteem for Donald Trump in yeah. in that regard. Yeah. But but for those uh, folks, um, the, the Google engineers of the world, um, there's a lot of appeal that remains there. Now, my question is, what? What role have have we on the left played mm. in creating this movement? Because a lot of these uh, disaffected Google engineer types are reacting to uh, identity politics and safe spaces. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, that's a good question. Um, I think that... Um, I, I think about uh, Louis C.K. often. He has a bit about, I, I may have even mentioned this on the podcast before, but um, about how, uh, you know, any time in the past is great for white person. He talks about like a time machine, like white people are going to just walk into a time machine and pick any time in the past. And it's like, oh, table for two, white people are right here. And like, but he said, like, I'm not going to the future though, because like we're, you know, we're right on the cusp of, slipping from number one to something else. And it's not just going to be like an easy transition to number two. And I think that that's at the basis of both the white anxiety, mm -hmm. the, that feeling of like somehow on some level, there is some subconscious awareness of the unfair advantage. Um, and that, that just, you know, the law of the playground is that you don't go from top dog to not quite top dog is <laughs> an easy transition. And on the other side of it, of the, the groups that have not had that privilege, there is this increasing feeling of like they have more uh, permission, more power to express the, you know, whenever that happens on the bus or in a restaurant or whatever, it really fucking pisses me off. And that's that individual sort of uh, in, uh, enablement is is sort of edging towards an equalization and and so there's this i guess what i'm trying to say is like it's a pendulum right and it's it's not just a smooth transition from one thing to the other there's necessarily some volatility in mm. any kind of transition period um i think it's you know it seems to me that the vast majority of the problems with that people have uh whether it's women or people of color are are 
LGBT or any of the other groups that have been, um, you know, uh, bearing the brunt of the, the opposite side of white male privilege, you know, a, a lot of the problems that they have with white men expressing things would be very easily handled by the white men just going like, I get this. Like, I understand from a historical perspective, from a societal perspective, I understand my advantages um, and whether I'm like, maybe I'm unemployed and homeless and have substance abuse problems, but still as part of a class with a privilege, I get how that would be difficult for somebody who's not in that class um, and has to work harder to get to the same, all of that kind of stuff. There's just an acknowledgement stage that I think would help in almost every conversation. Like if that guy, the Google engineer, uh, Damore, had started by saying, I acknowledge these systemic, like I recognize that there are any number of different systemic uh, uh, prejudicial reasons for women earning 70 cents on, on the dollar compared to men. Um, and I don't think it's fair overall. I believe that everybody is equal. However, I'd like to go into whatever this particular... Detail about why they're not. <laughs> I, I'm starting to realize how this is probably still problematic. But I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, if he had some more uh, nuanced point to make past the initial acknowledgement of the inequality, of the historical inequality, and of the current and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, overriding system of inequality that's in place right now. But he was starting from a sort of a butthurt perspective like i'm sick of hearing that there is inequality and i'm going to prove that mm -hmm. there isn't and that's not <laughs> it's not gonna you know it's not gonna go well basically is what i'm saying there's this element of of being tone deaf yeah um there and in in trump's response as well and i think if we're being uh charitable to uh to both um you know we would say that both uh don't see them. Don't see themselves. Really, don't believe that they are um, bad guys. Right. Right. Um, but their inability to hear and maybe be part of a um, you know an environment where there are other people who like are different, and <laughs> yeah. you know you you got to work together. Right. You're all in it together, um, and. At a minimum, you have to recognize where everyone is coming from yeah. as a as true, you know, um, and yes. that you know this mindset is fundamentally uh, unable to to do that. Now I think of the um, I think it was the Hobby Lobby uh, Supreme Court decision, and yeah. you know a lot of people on the left were really uh, upset about that decision. And I read it as the Supreme Court was saying, hey, we understand that everything is changing. And these people who are clinging to the past, we're gonna try to give them a soft transition here, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, the problem is that, again, those people clinging to the past are perceived by the groups who are um, feeling more empowered to point out the inequalities as being the people who've been, who've been 
benefiting from and holding up those inequalities, right? I mean, I mean, let, you know, at the at the base of it, that Hobby Lobby decision was about um, the right of an employer to refuse just arbitrarily to provide healthcare coverage for contraception mm-hmm. for women's contraception in particular. Like, that's such an arbitrary like why that why not you know whatever i don't know kidney medicine you know clearly it was a misogynistic um point of view Mm -hmm. it's very hard to defend like i'm sorry your misogynistic point of view is no longer (laughs) acceptable it's not 1950 you know what i mean like I, i i mean you know i get that the transition as i said there's volatility in the transition and i get that that's hard but you don't there's there's zero chance of being to able to hold back the arc of history and doing so just leads to strife and discord and chaos mm. and violence <laughs> well i so I, th- that's the interesting point right because i kind of feel like in in the hobby lobby case if the if the government the government says okay well you're you're forced to pay for this thing that you disagree with now you've got these folks who are agitated and they're angry, and maybe that is likely to create a type of violent scenario. The type of violent scenario that we're seeing in Charlottesville. The difference here is that there are no actual demands being made of right. these Charlottesville Tiki Torch guys other than to be adults and live in a community with yeah. other people. Yeah hear and understand their points of view (laughs) you know um except that somehow society sometimes society has an opinion that does not match with yours and you just have to go along with it sometimes so uh arnold schwarzenegger i think had a really great response where he came out and he said uh trump you moron um (laughs) i like that part here is uh let me help you write your speech and he said as the president of the united states and as a Republican, which Schwarzenegger is, right. I reject the support of white supremacists. The country that defeated Hitler's army is no place for Nazi flags. The party of Lincoln will not stand with those who carry the battle flag of the failed Confederacy. So, I mean, I think if we're if we're also want to inject a little um, uh, understanding towards the Nazi adjacent. Um, we might you don't say like not so Nazi. I like it. That's good. I like that. <laughs> that trademark. We might say um, we want to invite people to the table yeah. to talk to us. We want to hear from you as well about the tra- the transition here that we're all doing right. together. Right. But there is a line. Yes. And until you no totally separate for intolerance, no tolerance for intolerance. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I totally agree. So I think that's the. Ultimately, that's the, the message that we need to have. I'm sad that it's not coming from our leadership. I have not heard anybody kind of synthesize those things. Um, and and that's unfortunate because it does seem like we are, um, you know, we've not seen the, the end of it. No. Um, no. In fact, I mean, uh, it's tempting to see the Phoenix rally... Um, and the messaging since last week, um, even with Bannon being fired, which we haven't touched on, um, uh, it's still tempting to see these moves as uh, attempt to consolidate support in his base because he's feeling 
increasingly isolated and, and um, attacked uh, in D.C. I mean, right. the other major uh, sort of development that we haven't touched on is the growing schism between McConnell and Trump mm. um, after the fail, failure of the repeal and replace. Initially, the blame obviously was on McCain, but Trump has made comments about McConnell, um, you know, come back from recess, you got a job to do. It's just a simple job, like, you know, just put something on my desk and I'll sign it. And he sort of, uh, McConnell responded with remarks at various uh, speaking engagements where he said, you know, president is new to this role and doesn't quite seem to understand how government works yet. Um, I think privately he's been saying, like, I don't think he's ever going to figure out how government works. Um, we've talked about McConnell extensively as a prominent power broker in this, mm. uh, this uh, not just this season, but many seasons of Real Presidents. <laughs> um, it seems like a terrible choice to try to align himself with the far right outside of D.C. power base, if you can call it that, dispersed in the the haulers and the, <laughs> the swamps and the backwoods of America and to further alienate the one of the major power brokers in, in, in the halls of power of D.C. It certainly doesn't seem like a winning strategy. No. Um, and if we recall, uh, we didn't really think that Trump, we in the largest sense, wanted to win at all in the first place. Right. That really he just wanted to agitate this group and uh, maybe build some type of uh, media uh, empire um, on top of it. I do think, you, you know, you're right. He feels embattled, uh, yeah. Trump. And, you know, this is his Beleaguered. hardcore. Um, that too. His hardcore um, base of support. He knows that these guys are oh, going to... Oh, they're never going him. away. And... Um, uh, he best, likes that. He dips into that. It feeds his ego. Yeah, best I mean, president ever. Right from an all right perspective. Now, could it, could it lead to a flame out? Well, um, I don't know that really we can avoid it. Like, what are the options here? Maybe we could just like shut up and just kind of ride it out. Uh, that <laughs> doesn't seem like Trump's style. Um, no. Okay, but here's what's weird. Right, is that of course um, uh, Steve Bannon has been. Uh, removed right. from his position. If you're Trump and you're really doubling down on the far right, uh, why would you get rid of Bannon? Yeah, good question. Um, I don't think he wanted to. I think he was forced to. Um, or uh, if if we accept the premise that somehow. Trump and his camp are playing three-dimensional chess. Um, it was, They felt like it was an opportune time for Bannon to go outside of the administration and start, um, uh, you know, focusing on the propaganda war um, to drum up more support for Trump. Or um, if Bannon is the real operator here, time for Bannon to exit the Trump administration because it's, as he said, over. Which I thought was a very interesting quote. Uh, the Trump administration or presidency is mm -hmm. over, um, and to uh, foment civil discord and uh, the the collapse of democratic institutions, which is his stated goal uh, from outside of government. Mm. 
Um, so, I mean, those are the three scenarios I see. So either Kelly said he goes or I go, because people were saying that they, they presumed that Kelly was going to move on, on Bannon mm-hmm. after Priebus mm-hmm. left. Um, and, or, uh, it's Trump and Bannon conspiring to, as you said, uh, start building that media empire, the, mm-hmm. the, the writer version of Fox news, um, or it's Bannon leaving to be an, an agent of Putin and chaos um, and to try to whip up the, the race war that he secretly desires in his heart of hearts. Okay, well, the um, <laughs> uh, I, I think prefer? scenario two and three there could be related. Uh, yeah. Look, I'm not a Steve Bannon firing truther, but I do feel like it is compelling to say that perhaps um, he is going out there with Trump's blessing to, I mean, the, uh, I don't know if you read the Vanity Fair article about uh, Bannon that, that just came out, um, but it basically starts off with like, um, somebody came up to Bannon on the day he was fired and was like, hey, shouldn't you be like sad and dejected? You know, he was like, hell no, man, I'm going to war. Woo! <laughs> yeah. um, I got my hands <laughs> on my weapons. <laughs> He specifically said his two targets were – sorry, this was a um, uh, an administration official who's quoted uh, anonymously that Bannon's targets are going to be the globalists, uh, namely Jared and Ivanka, yeah. and, the, uh, and the Hawks, meaning uh, General McMaster, uh, Dinah Powell, and right. presumably General Kelly as well. Well, and certainly there was a concerted effort um, to try to get McMaster out. Um, over the previous number of weeks, too, was primarily driven by Breitbart. I mean, he was clearly puppet mastering Breitbart from inside the White House and probably was feeling constrained in how well he could do that, I would assume, that he could do a better one on the outside. But here is a piece of evidence that suggests maybe Trump and Bannon are truly on the outs. Um, A Breitbart staffer is quoted as saying... We are prepared to help Paul Ryan rally votes for impeachment if Trump becomes a globalist. That feels like, um, uh, you know, blackmail, manipulation, right? They're, they're making the same threat that Putin implicitly is making, which is, I've got shit on you and I'm going to mm-hmm. make it public if you don't follow you know, my agenda. That's an open reiteration of that same manipulation or attempt to manipulate Mm -hmm. by Breitbart, essentially, that you know how powerful we were to help you get into power. We will be just as powerful in removing you from power if you disavow the the alt-right. So I think if you are, because I I find that the concept of Trump has been like uh, compromised to a number of different constituencies to be probably pretty accurate. Um, then you've got Kelly, who's specifically said he's not going to try to manage the executive, but rather the staff. Right. Um, and seems to be very taking a hard line at doing that. Um, if you're Kelly, you're probably trying to set the Kelly, who w- will not say who he voted for. Um, uh, if you're him, okay, you want to minimize the impact that Donald Trump can do as he careens about in his padded oval office um, while the adults in the adjoining rooms handle the business of of running the country. I mean, that, yeah. that definitely seems 
um, the professionals. Yes. Um, I mean, I think that's what they, what Kelly and McMaster and, um, and the rest of the, the professionals were hoping would happen. It doesn't really seem like that. I mean, there is no reigning Trump in. Right? I mean, the, the, the whole Charlottesville sort of response is kind of the, uh, the, the proof of that, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the less involved in... I can't say that he's ever really been involved, but if you give him that safe safety... Um, he's going to bounce around on those walls. And, uh, you know, that kind of creates a, a problem because, you know, the president of the United States is, uh, uh, you know, even when if he makes some stupid off-the-cuff remark, it is uh, it carries a lot of weight. And totally. it's going to distract from what the professionals want to do. That's why Mitch McConnell's pissed off. Uh, you know, he, here's his golden opportunity that he finally had, but he can't get anything done because the, it's fucking yeah. upside down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes. So, so looking ahead, um, presuming we, I get my act together and we're recording next week again, what do you think we have to look forward to? What are the sort of things that, that you think will be newsworthy? I mean, I know there's an inherent unpredictability to this administration but is there anything in particular you think may well happen? it was uh you know um the announcement from trump that we're we're beefing up in afghanistan yeah uh the longest war that the united states has ever been in over six and a half percent of the entire history of the united states has been the current war in afghanistan um why would Trump say that? Now, here's a guy who even himself, he's come out and said, you know, my instinct, which are great. My instincts are great, by the, the best, way. Best instincts. Uh, was to pull out. Um, but no, no, uh, we're, we're going in. Uh, we're going in more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's where what I'm watching, right? Because mm-hmm. did the Hawks... Force him to do that. He's he's a, a disavowing his previous position. Right, that we're we're wasting trillions of dollars, um, or is this, which is a classic wag the dog view of hey, he needs to he's feeling the the approval ratings right. slipping. How about some military action? That yeah. always goes over yeah. real well. That and chocolate cake. You know, never fail. Jean Loon's not taking the bait. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, we're already here, yeah. so why don't we just <laughs> pump it up? Um, Let's go back to that old favorite, the Taliban. So that yeah. that's my focus. I think that um, it's possible. I don't know if it'll happen by next week, but I think that we're going to start seeing indictments out of the Mueller investigation. Exciting. I, yeah. Um, it may be a couple of weeks, but... Um, it's possible that we'll see something by next week. And then I feel like the whole tenor of the administration and the news cycle covering it is going to change radically. Mm. Um, I remember when Ken Starr was named special counsel investigating Bill Clinton, and it felt like every other thing ground to a halt. Like there was no will to even, even the, the bureaucrats, the mm-hmm. civil servants did not right. act because there was so much uncertainty about how that was going to play out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that was over, uh, it was a fishing expedition. It was over, uh, you know, incredibly trivial things in comparison to, um, what we know is on the, on the plate for, for Trump. I mean, there's multiple contacts with, uh, foreign governments, with the Russians, there's multiple allegations of large scale money laundering. There's, uh, there's Rico charges potentially there's, I mean, it's, mm. it is, a. I mean, it's going to make OJ look like the trial of the last century, if you know what I mean? That's funny because it was the last century. It was, yeah. <laughs> uh, one final topic. Um, Emmanuel Macron, who's a character we've been tracking um, a few times uh, over the course of the last 22 episodes, his approval rating is uh, at 37% right now, which is uh, exactly the same as, as Trump's. Mm. Uh, now, the pushback from Macron seems to be because he's a globalist right. uh, and is anti-protectionist, um, whereas our, you know, we, we see the exact opposite. Right. right? Um, Trump's at 37% because he's protectionist and anti-globalist. Um, how can this be true? How can, you know, how can two guys who um, are, are polar opposites... Uh, be just as hated and does that mean like i don't think of macron as an as an extremist in the way that i probably would think of trump but uh certainly that's the impression that he's i but i'm not french i'm not french and that's you know uh french culture is something they take very seriously yes uh and they seem to view macron as a as a threat to that culture yeah i don't know but trump supporters feel American culture is under white culture yeah. Yeah. is uh, is threatened. Um, does this mean do we need a do we need a middle path? Isn't that what we've always had? <laughs> I mean the whole thing gets solved by uh, sometime in the um, the latter half of this century when all individual races have disappeared because we're all mm. just sort of a hybrid um, of all yes. the races, because uh, we've intermingled so much that no one can differentiate, mm-hmm. and then and then we'll live in a utopian society from that point on. So I think that's the only solution. Mm. I think that was the paragraph that was missing from the Google engineers' <laughs> <Yes>. manifesto. <laughs>